HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And today I have a very special guest who is part of history. And he is celebrating, in fact, 60 years of cooking. He cooks, he teaches, he's had over 11 television shows, more than 26 cookbooks. He paints, writes Have you guessed who it is? It's Jacques Pepin. He's Dean of Special Programs at the French Culinary Institute, and I'm so happy to have Jacques with me today. Jacques, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much for that nice introduction. (laughs) Well, it goes on and on and on, but I thought we could just talk about that and let you talk about some of the things that I would have said otherwise. You are quite amazing, I have to say, and your energy just seems boundless. It never stops. Um, You... You started, I mean, you tell me about it. I mean, you say that it's all about technique, I know, and we were going to get, we're going to get into that more later because the news is, is that Jacques has a new book coming out in October that you can all look forward to. Um, but to go back about your life in, in cooking, you say you've been cooking for 60 years. Well, I want to know a little bit about that. You really started cooking with your mother in her restaurant just before World War II, Correct. Right. I mean, not before World War II, but Just uh, I, yeah. um, I, went, I, mean, I left home to go into apprenticeship 
uh, when I was 13 years old, and mm -hmm. that was in 1949. Mm -hmm. uh, so prior to me leaving home, home was actually a restaurant. So <laughs> my brother and I were still uh, working, going to the market, carrying stuff, washing bottles, peeling potato. you know. Uh, so yes, I was in that business as far as I can think, you know, five, six, seven years old. Right. Well, you said that those post-war times... Um, you, were very important for you in terms of, of of a lesson that you learned respect for ingredients. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, certainly. I mean, uh, you know, when I go to a restaurant now, even when I go to the school in New York or I teach at Boston University as well, you know, I I make a point very often. Uh, I go to the ki to the to the the kitchen through the kitchen and I look in the garbage can and usually I'm horrified of what I see in the garbage can. <laughs> I mean, people throw so much stuff out. I remember when I worked at the Russian Tea Room, I was a consultant for a number of years there. And uh, it was amazing uh, how much was thrown in the garbage because uh, labor is expensive. <clears throat> so, you know, they didn't want to pay someone already $12 an hour uh, a cook, so they used the dishwasher to do the salad, whatever. And he take the whole top off, take the center, and throw the rest out. And ultimately, that's what has happened. Because <clears throat> ingredients are very inexpensive, still are inexpensive compared to Europe in America, and labor is more expensive, so it's a kind of trade-off, but it's certainly a bad way of getting trained, you know. <clears throat> that you, um, the respect that you do show for ingredients is, is very evident in, in, your, um, in your teaching and in your recipes. I mean, that you, nothing really goes to waste, and, and you, use, you teach people, I think, a very good way to cook in terms particularly of um, of meats and and how you cut meats and i've just i've always been impressed i mean you've you've taught me you taught me you and well between you and julia i i learned quite a bit <laughs> you really Thank did you. teach me how to um how, you know how to cut a chicken and nearly not waste anything and um how to how to cut up all kinds of uh slices of or cuts of meat and amongst your many other recipes, but it—it's sometimes it's those simple techniques, uh, those simple lessons that you know that always stick with me the most. No matter what I'm doing, if I'm improvising, you know, I always I always remember those those very basic, uh, simple techniques. And I know that's what you're all about, right? <laughs> so, and this is why I wanted to do that DVD in that new book that I have. Now that I have, yeah, that I have not even gotten to because I watched that and I wanted to tell our, our listeners about that. Tell okay, so talk about this with the book, folks. When it comes out in October, you get a DVD. All right, tell us about that, Jacques. Yeah, there is a three-hour DVD of technique. I mean, from sharpening a knife to peeling an asparagus to poaching an egg to making an omelet to boning out a chicken to doing puff paste to. Uh, I don't know, all of those things which are very visual and very difficult to explain in the world. You know. And um, I may add that those techniques that I use in there are not necessarily geared for that book. Of course, they are used in that book, but they are used in any book that you have on your shelf. Mm -hmm. so this is a, a general lesson in technique, and, uh, which for us is very important. I mean, as a professional chef, first you have to become a craftsman. You have to know the technique. You have to be able to go fast. You have to be able to, uh, to produce, you know. And uh, as long as uh, you're not at that level, 
then you don't have the time to think in terms of producing, in terms of creating, in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of texture, in terms of color, in terms of this. You know, first you have to transcend that level and become, become a craftsman. You know, That's just right. like when if you are a, a butcher certainly, or for that matter a surgeon or a cabinet maker or a mason. You know, you work with your hands first. You have to know your trade and become a craftsman. <laughs> and if you happen to have talent. Then it's even better because now with what you have in your hand as a craftsman, then you can take that talent somewhere. That's right. And this is what great chefs like uh, you know Thomas Keller and Daniel Boulou, Jean Georges are. You know they are craftsmen first, but then they are talented. Yeah. Well, I think Thomas Keller must have learned a lesson from you because when a young student was commenting to him about his lack of some certain knife or that it wasn't sharp enough, he looked at the student and said, Ah. It's not the wand, it's the wizard. <laughs> so I'm sure he must have taken a pointer from you on that one. You know, um, a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with some of your background, um, which and this book does give a nice, a nice intro and, and background to your, um, to your experience. But you, well, first of all, you, you ended up at one of the most famous ho- um, restaurants in Paris, the Hotel Plaza Athene, studying with Lucien Diat. Um, and then when you arrived, you arrived in America in what year? In 1959? Yeah, the end of 1959. 59, right. And um, you hooked up with uh, Pierre Franet, who was a wonderful chef and, and just a wonderful uh, writer, and, and, I, and I'm sure he was a, a dear friend as well, right? Yes, yes. I worked with Pierre for 13 years. Yeah. Well, you, and then you took a very interesting job in the 60s. Working for Howard Johnson's, right. developing recipes. What were your coming from France and having this classical cooking education? What was your reaction to working at Howard? You know, developing recipes for Howard Johnson's. Well, that was the whole point. You know, you have to realize that at that time the cook was really at the bottom of the social scale, and any good mother would have wanted her child to marry an architect, uh, a doctor, or a lawyer, but certainly <laughs> not a cook. Uh, of course, now we are genius. It's different. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Mega star, uh, superstars. That being right? said, uh, I work at the pavilion with Pierre. <clears throat> when Pierre dis- left the pavilion, there had some problem with Soule. We all left the pavilion. And uh, he decided to work for Howard Johnson. Howard D. Johnson, the founder of the company, was a regular patron of the pavilion. And he told Pierre, you're going to work for me one day. So Pierre went to work for me and asked me to go with him. And concurrently, at that time, it was the spring, late spring of 1960, I was offered the job at the White House for Kennedy, who was at that time running as uh, the president, uh, the presidential candidate. And uh, I eventually went to Howard Johnson and uh, to validate my my choice now, because people say, how could you what? do that? Yeah, you turned down the president. <laughs> right. The point is that I had been the chef to three presidents in France from 56 to 59. Including? And I had never been on, uh, on a television. Well, television barely existed, but on the radio, newspaper, too. I had never had anyone coming and to say thank you in the kitchen. I was never invited to... To, to get kudo in the dining room too, and I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm I'm saying that because this is the way, this is the way things things were at the time and period. And um, I'm Got sorry for my telephone. busy office. I see. Yes. So this is the way uh, things were at the time, meaning that uh, 
meaning that when finally uh, I, I was offered a job there, I didn't realize the potential. Yeah. You know, the yeah. potential that, uh, that you you be being at the White House. Because right. it did not really exist before before uh, Mrs. Kennedy, you know, start... Uh, well, she, lo- she loved Le Pavillon, up, uh, right? Showing René Verdon, who was her chef, and, uh, and all that. Mm-hmm. But prior to this, it was a black lady who was at... Uh, no one would have never known her name or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, Likewise, we- for me, when I was in Paris, I remember I cooked for Eisenhower, Nehru, Tito, Macmillan, which were the head of, chef at, uh, the head of state at the time. Mm-hmm. I had never seen any of those people, never get any... Uh, it's quite different. Yes. Well, you... And you actually... You mentioned that you cooked for many heads of state in France. You were a personal chef to Charles de Gaulle, correct? Right. It was yeah. during that time, yes. Wow. And as yeah. I said, uh, where you deal with the lady of the house, usually I dealt with Madame de Gaulle, but basically... The chef was really, as I say, at the bottom of the social scale, and you stay in your kitchen, and you had absolutely no exposure or uh, to to anything in terms of publicity. And I'm, as I say, I'm not complaining. It, that's the way things were. But this is one of the reasons that I did not, I did not, uh, I didn't take the the job at the White House. Mm. I had no idea of the potential for publicity. In addition to this, I figure that if I go to the White House, I will be doing some of the stuff, uh, the same type of food or, or the same you know, idea of when I was with uh, the president in France. Uh, conversely, however, Howard Johnson was a totally new world, you know, world right. of uh, production, marketing, uh, uh, you know, chemistry of food and uh, uh, the whole American eating habit and so forth. So it was... Uh, totally new territory for me, so I was learning a great deal. Well, interesting choice of path, and then you got that fame and recognition. <laughs> anyway, well, look at that. Well, I stayed there 10 years. It was a long American was, apprenticeship, good. you know, yeah. 1960, 1970. Yeah. To stay at a corporation that long, is indeed, uh-huh. that's, that's something. Well, from there, you decided at some point then, and, and you mentioned this, you left school at 13 to, to start your apprenticeship in France, but then... Uh, come the late sixties, early seventies, you decided you decided to go back to school and and get that classical education. Right. What inspired that? I mean, you you ended up with your BA from Columbia and then went on to get your master's degree from Columbia in French literature. What what really inspired? I mean, this had to be a real break from what you had been doing. What inspired yes, you to do that? Yes, but you know that the, what that that the whole point it was America, and in America you could do that, huh. and uh, there was no. Uh, Everything was possible. And uh, I, uh, as I said in France, the cook being at the bottom of the social scale, you know, when you went out and uh, you want to go dancing somewhere and you wanted to invite a, a girl to dance and they said, what do you do? I said, I'm a cook somewhere. That wasn't sounding pretty good. You know? <laughs> so we were all kind of uh, maybe complexed a little bit. So uh, I wanted to further my education, yes. And today uh, they have groupies uh, like a rock I went star. To <laughs> Colombia and I, I, uh, I took English for foreign students, which took a couple of years. And eventually I had to take an entrance examination. I went into a validation program. Eventually I got a, a BA, then I got a master. And I never finished writing my doctoral dissertation, which is interestingly enough because this is what I'm teaching at BU. It was an history of food in the context of civilization literature. And in 1968, I believe, 
at Colombia, they told me, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so right, and that now, would be different now. Well, it, interestingly enough, you and Julia went on to found the Julia Child. You went on to found the Food Studies Program at Boston University. Yes, yeah, that was, And that was the first, interestingly, that was the first Food Studies Program at an American university. That's I don't even think there is anything like that in France in the same way. And I don't really know if there is many in this country. I mean, we still offer a Master of Liberal Art with a concentration in gastronomy, and I still teach there. Uh, I still teach at BU occasionally, you know, mm-hmm. two, three times a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, anymore, somebody studying culinary history or food history, I mean, you really kind of have to cobble together your own, you know, your own way of study, your own uh, curriculum. It's, it is still very loose and not as focused as it could be, and I, I really applaud your efforts to getting that program started. I think it's extremely important as a culinary historian. It's yeah. very important to me. You know, the, the, the difficult part of it, in many ways, even even when I went to teach, I've been teaching at BU for 29 years now, and at BU they told me, you know, if you want, you can get your PhD there, we can give it to you there. And the problem was that, where do I study? And uh, <laughs> it was always through the guise of another sh- social science, you know, whether anthropology, history, uh-huh. Uh-huh. sociology, I mean, you had to filter the food through one of those subjects, you know, it wasn't uh, uh, important enough in itself, as now it has changed. Absolutely. And, uh, so it was, it was a, a, an interesting process. <laughs> um, before we, we're going to take a, a, a real short break, but before we do, I, I wanted to get your comment on something. You, you wrote about how your cooking reflected your life here in America already by the 1970s. And it was noticed none other by, than by your mother when she uh-huh. ate at your restaurant, La Potagerie. Right. She said, well, this is very good, right? What she said, this is very good, but it's not French. Right, right. <laughs> how how in, in particular do you think that cha- that food, the, the taste had, what, what um, keyed her to the fact that it had, your cooking had changed a bit? And what was well, at it? Some, at some point, you know, fried chicken after Howard Johnson, Fried chicken and clam chowder, you know, we are replacing uh, beef burgundy and, uh, and uh, parmentier soup or onion soup, you know. Uh, the point is that uh, I don't think that I'm very chauvinistic in my cooking. And I, uh, after all of those years, you know, I'm married to a, a, for 45 years with you know, our anniversary last month uh, of a woman who was born in New York City from a Puerto Rican uh, mother and a Cuban father, so really New York. So there is so many uh, different uh, aspects of food that you considered. And uh, I, uh, I never really tried to stay really French, but by the same token, I never really tried not to stay French. I don't really think in those terms. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know cilantro in France and many other things. I see things coming on the market. I like something. We cook it. And uh, I do it, and uh, without really trying to categorize it. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, criticizing someone like, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Lydia Bastianich, for example, or whatever, who feel that she's part of a culture and she wants to reflect that culture exactly and do it in a pure way, so that it's not, uh, uh, it's not truncated, you know, in many ways. So, and I think that's very admirable. But uh, I never really uh, thought of it too much in in my way. So I don't really care uh, as long as I have a combination which I like, which is good, which I think is good, then it's fine whether it's a mixture of one thing or another. And my mother had already recognized that coming after a few years 
uh, to see us. Well, the first time she came, actually, is when we get married in 1966. But then I would cook. She said, wow, that's really good, but uh, it's not really French at all. And, uh, <laughs> and she didn't care herself either. So, you know, uh, because she was, she thought it been like this, I mean. Yeah, as long as it was good. Well, you have become a real American. <laughs> I guess so, you say. know. I yeah. mean, you know, cooking for me is, uh, is really an expression of ingredient wherever you are. So if those ingredients are where I am here in Connecticut and... Uh, uh, growing right there in my garden around. I mean, automatically my cooking is uh, cooking is always, as I say, an expression of uh, of climatic condition, if you want. That's mm-hmm. why if you go in the south of France and you're going to have a, a soup, uh, you know, uh, with uh, with uh, garlic and all kind of vegetable, and uh, they call a pistou, you know, in the south of France. And uh, you go uh, uh, 10 miles up and you're in Italy and you have a minestrone, a lot of it's almost the same, you know. Why? Because you're in an area where you have good tomato and you have basil and you have olive oil and you have this. So basically, there is a great deal of similarity you will find between cooking, whether it's in Italy or the south of France or Spain or Portugal, in my opinion, more similarity than, for example, the cooking of in France of Provence and Alsace, which is the northeast part of France, next to Germany, or Normandy, which is the other part. There is more differences, I believe, between the cooking of Nor- Normandy and Provence than the cooking of Provence and, uh, and Italy. Hmm. Interesting. Um, it's it's all about the ingredient then. I mean, it's really, you know, well, yes. te- technique first, Jacques, and always being, technique. Being, <laughs> but, but being then, honest. Yeah. Being honest with the ingredient, respect the ingredient, and uh, uh, yes, absolutely. Well, I want to I want to um, give some time to talk about your book. So, you let's move on to that. It, it's not going to be out in the bookstores until October eighteenth, folks. Yeah, so a couple you're of weeks. Have to wait. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to highlight it, and that my question to you is that you have already so many books. Yeah. Why this book? What's different? Well, that's a good question. I didn't really want to do that. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> and my editor came and they said, you know, you have so many of those books uh, which we should revisit, which are out of print for years and years. And uh, so I said, well, it's going to be a cinch, you know. Uh, I'm just going to put it together. So we started with like over 2,000 recipes. And uh, we are left about around 700 or so. And uh, the idea was that I said, do I leave it the way it was, the way I cooked 35 years ago, uh, or do I change? Or I mean, there are differences between the cooking of a young man and a middle-aged man and an older man now. I mean, your metabolism changes. Mm-hmm. It changes as you go through, so I don't cook the way now that I did 20, 30, 40 years ago. So it was either living in one way or changing, and I choose the second option, which end up being more work than than doing a book from the beginning. Uh. You know, the time of uh, time of cooking have changed, the type of fat that you use, the amount of it, uh-huh. uh, type of vegetable, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, we did a fair amount of adjustment. So, uh, but it was uh, a nice uh, visit to the past. You know, uh, oh, I'm sure. Interesting, and uh, uh, and we did not do any uh, color picture because I wanted to do that DVD of three hours of technique, and I said to go with the book. 
So because of that, I illustrated the book with the drawing. Well, I have had the opportunity to um, to look through the book and read it, read many of the recipes and your notes, and I was impressed. I said, whoa, now this is a serious tome. We're talking a big book, over 700 recipes, and as you just said, no picture. Well, except for your lovely hand-drawn illustrations at right. the beginning of each section, which are, are just absolutely delightful. Um, but I, I looked at it and I said, this is one serious cookbook, and yet... Not serious in a, a heavy, difficult way. It's every recipe is so approachable. It is it is um, cookable, if if we can say. Yes. Um, and then I noticed that, and because I wasn't reading the notes, I was just you know I just wanted to get into the book. And then I noticed that there was the DVD. What and what a boon to uh, you know to anyone who buys that book to have the. Uh, the knowledge and the, and the sharing of your techniques and your and your methods it's, it it just makes it makes the book come alive you're right and rather than putting a picture of each recipe in there it's wonderful this is really what uh, i think that i've been doing and want to do forever it's maybe it's my my french uh, uh, cartesianism you know maybe i'm cartesian too much but <laughs> i like to simplify things and make it easier simpler and even I saw in all the recipe, you know, looking, I say, why did I do that? You don't have to do that. I yeah. just have to go this way, that one, so forth. So there is a great deal of simplification to uh, keep the uh, the more intrinsic value of the the product itself and do it in a simpler, faster, more approachable yeah. way. But not to give anyone the impression that these are, are just simple dishes. I mean, you have everything in there from the simple to the sublime. I mean, you've got, you know, the... The duck a l'orange. I mean, everything is just, I think you say simplified, I'd say more like streamlined. It makes it very, you know, very easy to do, and people should not be intimidated to, to try any one of the recipes. And it's just, you're... I hope they won't. <laughs> and just like, also, the way that you are on television, they're, they're just, it coming through the book is the same as your style that comes through your television shows, and that there's this air of relaxed calm and confidence. And that shows in the DVD as well. I mean, you you make everything look so easy. Well, thank you very much. I mean, uh, it is true that people confuse us. There is so many of us on television now cook. I heard someone, uh, uh, um, someone on television last week saying there is 540 show on cookery on television. Oh, my goodness. I not believe it. I don't know whether it's true or not. But in any case... Uh, people tend to confuse us because we're on television with actors. You know, we are not actors. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not Dr. Kilder next week or whatever. I mean, we are, I'm a cook and I do it my way and people love it and some don't like it and some don't really care one way or the other and some love you. That's the way it is. You know, mm-hmm. you are who you are. You know, some people relate to you more than others. Well, a, a television cook for the ser- the person who's seriously interested in cooking. I think that's that's one way we can certainly describe it. You um, you say in your book, in the beginning of the book, you I, I guess you're a poet also as well as a painter, um, and I'm attributing this to you. You correct me if it's not from you. You said there is no greater love than the love of cooking. One always cooks for another. And yes, that, that's true. That is, it's such a beautiful thought. I mean, you cooking, you you are preparing something. You're preparing something for somebody else. So you put exactly. you put yourself into it, your soul into it. I mean, it. this is this is pure love, pure giving, you know. And that's why my best my best uh, uh, holiday for me is Thanksgiving, uh, because uh. that's what Thanksgiving is all. There is no religion and 
implication, no political implication. It's just giving food and feeding your friend. You That's know? right. That's right. And as far as your the book and the DVD go, um, something that you've always said in, in the past, too, is that trends change, but technique does not. And That's true. And this you know, book it's is interesting. Really I have that book, La Technique and La Method, which mm-hmm. have been republished into a large book called The Complete Technique of Jacques Pepin. And that was republished about seven, eight years ago. I did that in 74. Now it was re- uh, uh, redone together about eight, ten years ago. And it won the first prize in France somewhere for competition of cooking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm only saying this, you know, because I don't cook the way I did 35 years ago, but the way you make an omelette or beat an egg white, uh, you know, sharpen a knife is the same. That so hasn't changed. Yeah. Are the same. Yeah. Right. That's right. Well, I just wanted to mention that um, you've gotten so many awards and honors in your lifetime, and I'm, I'm sure it must make you very happy um, after all your efforts. Make me hold. Yeah. <laughs> um, including the um, the uh, Legion of Honor in France, but. Right. There, you are going to be feted this Saturday night by one of the organizations I belong to. I'm very happy to announce that Les Dames d'Escoffier and the New York City Wine and Food Festival are going yeah. to be honoring you this Saturday night at a grand, along with uh, Prince Robert of, of uh, Luxembourg with Chateau Aubryon Wines. Yeah. And participating will be a lot of your cronies and giants in the food world, Daniel Boulud, yeah. Alain Ducasse, Laurent Gras, Alain Sayek, uh, Jacques Torres, and and it should be an absolutely fabulous dinner. If anyone out there is, and Martha Stewart is going, to and Martha Stewart's the MC, right? She's going to be yes. be hosting that. And um, Descoffier, uh, you know, Ian Dagen, Abigail Kirsch are going to do the order and all that. There is an incredible rostrum of people. So, that's uh, right. That's right. And they're to support to support scholarship for Les Dames d'Escoffier. For Les Dames, so our scholarship would, program. Uh, yes. help people to come and spend money. <laughs> yeah. There, I believe there may be a few tickets still available. They can check it out at nycwineandfoodfestival.com. And that will be this Saturday, October 1st. And look for Jacques' book coming out soon in October. And Jacques, thank you so much. As always, you're generous with your time and and your talents. And I thank you so much for being with me today on this portion of A Taste of the Past. Again, I'm Linda Palaccio. Thank you. listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7, Monday through Saturday, and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare-approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market.